the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, we do so on Mondays with our friend Brandon Weikert. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And he's recently completed a book on other issues having to do with foreign policy. We do foreign policy and a little domestic here every week. Hi, Brandon. Welcome back. Hello. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I just got off an airplane. I am sitting in uh, an undisclosed location in rural Virginia getting ready to speak to the military tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. Good for you. I'm glad you're doing it. I'm glad they're listening to you, too. Well, they are, although they complained that I was too enthusiastic the last time, so I'll try to What does that down. mean? I don't know. <laughs> about potential? About our potential? Too enthusiastic about our potential? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Nobody really gave me the details. They just said, tone it down. I wouldn't. So I will. I wouldn't. I wouldn't tone. People want cowbell. <laughs> well, I will keep that in mind tomorrow when I when I am speaking. Yeah, I don't think... I, I mean, if you're going to go speak maybe, you know, to the society of you know, 18th century uh, English poets, okay, tone it down, sure. If there's a lot of brie and white wine, sure, tone it down. But Brandon, if you're talking to the U.S. military, come on. Well, I will, uh, I will see how it goes. I'll tell them Seth told me to be myself. The, um, the folly, the folly, the foreign policy folly of most administrations where they get their fingers most burnt, Brandon, <coughs> seems to be the Middle East. Oh, yeah. Whenever they try and engage it, <coughs> it ends up not going very well for the American president or the American Total people. Disaster. Usually, usually. Yeah. And there are countries that uh, there are a few countries this is more true of than Iran. And I have in front of me these two very odd stories that I wanted to run by you because I know Iran plays big in your recently completed book. Yes. Uh, the first, the first has to do with um, with this notion that Iran is saying that America is offering them seven million dollars and a prisoner swap to return yeah. four Americans hostages, and the and and the other, of course, is the ongoing story. Weird, weird story that involves uh, John Kerry's friend, uh, or maybe former friend, <laughs> uh, Foreign Minister Zarif. Um, let's yeah. let's let's do the prisoner swap and the payment for thing first. Uh, right. I, I you know, all, go I'm ahead. Little, you you open up on it. No, no, real quickly. I, I'm a little confused because the article I was reading on the plane kept saying seven billion with a B. Is it million or billion? I have billion on my story. Okay. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. Did I say that, million? That, I'm sorry. Did I say million? Yeah, oh, that's okay. That's okay, because I couldn't believe I it. I meant billion. I if it. I said million, I apologize. But, but, then I, but then I thought about it, and I said, it's got to be billion. Yeah, no, no, no. When my, Democrats, bad. my bad. When Democrats go big, you know, with yeah. appeasing enemies. Yeah, we don't talk in big. millions anymore. <laughs> right. Budgets are in trillions. Prisoner swaps are in billions. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, go ahead, though, please, with your question. I'm well, that's fine. You it's, uh, you know, first of all, um, if 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 the Biden administration or anyone in it was talking about sending cash to the Iranians in, in exchange for prisoners, as the Barack Obama administration did, I'm having a hard time remembering why there was a Iran-Contra crisis, uh, because it right. seemed to me that that was the point right. of paying Iranians to release hostages. Right. I mean, uh, this is an impeachable offense if you're a Republican. Exactly right. Reagan. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Second, right. I don't. I, I mean, it's a useful story for this reason, if no other. I don't know. Most Americans realize Iran still has American hostages. Uh, but you know, go 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 ahead and talk to me about this, Brandon, because I got to tell you, if if we're going to be giving them back prisoners and more money, uh, sign me up to stop. I mean, I it's just right. enough. There's enough of this. Right. It's enough. Right. Well, we know. Here's the deal. The Biden administration got caught yet again with their hand in the cookie jar, and uh, these are all former Obama people that are running his Middle East policy shop. And so the Obama administration pioneered the use of paying off ransom, whether we're talking about um, what was it, the, 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 the soldier that went MIA in Afghanistan. Oh, Bo um, Bergdahl or someone like that. Bo Bergdahl, yeah, Bergdahl. Yeah. Yes, yes. So whether you're talking about that or whether you're talking about the pallets of cash yeah. delivered to Iran uh, during the JCPOA, the nuclear deal uh, negotiations in 2015, they, of course, they can deny it all they want, the Biden team. But if you look at the players, they did it. They tried to pay. $7 billion, or they did pay $7 billion for these four hostages. And we have no idea what the extent and nature of the trade was. We don't know what the who the hostages are. We don't even know if they really were hostages. Who knows? And we never will know any more than we know the details still of the Bergdahl case, which is all sur- surrounded in, in mystery and, and nobody dare talk about it. Um, at the same time, I thought what Ronald Reagan did in the 80s, trying to, to free American hostages through any means necessary, I thought that was actually morally a good thing for the president to do. I don't like giving Iran money, but at the same time, as Reagan said at the time, you know, I have a moral obligation to try to get Americans free however I can, wherever they may be held. So on the one hand, I can't really fault the Biden administration, but on the other hand, I have to question the timing. You know, why weren't, you know, what, what what is going on? This is happening in a larger context. And the larger context is Biden is doing whatever he can to bring a recalcitrant Iran back to the negotiating table to get them back into the JCPOA, the nuclear agreement that Obama crafted and Trump rightly got out of. Um, he is desperate, Biden is, to get back in that deal. And what did we hear recently from the Middle East in the last couple of weeks? We've heard Saudi Arabia as now basically distancing itself from the Abraham Accord, which was trying the Trump administration trying to unite the Sunni Arabs with Israel to contain Iran. And they're now pivoting in Riyadh, and they're trying to have an accommodating strategy with Iran. 
which is what I told you back in January was going to happen if Biden tried to get rid of the Abraham Accords. And then at the same time, Netanyahu earlier this week made this bizarre statement when he was asked by the media over in Israel, what are you going to do if uh, Biden pulls out of the Abraham Accords and goes into the JCPOA again? Um, Netanyahu's response is, I really don't care anymore about what the Americans are doing because we're getting close to Russia. So now you've got two American allies in Israel and Saudi Arabia. The Biden administration is doing its utmost to push those allies away and embrace an enemy that still hates us, even though we're throwing pallets of cash at them uh, in Iran. And meanwhile, the Israelis and Saudis have no choice now but to make different calculations to protect themselves, because clearly the Biden administration does not have their back the way the Trump administration did. And it's very sad, because all the blood we spilled in the Middle East for the last 21 years is about to be made irrelevant, all those sacrifices, because it's going to open up, leave an opening for Iran to grow its power base, but also for Russia and then China to move in and displace us. And whether we like the Middle East or not, on some level, America has to preserve its position there because it's a strategically important area with all the oil and natural gas there still. And China's still trying to get the oil and natural gas from there. And that's a key leverage point if we kept our position in the Middle East. It's a key leverage thing that we could use against uh, China. We could blockade them from that oil and natural gas if something ever erupted in terms of a crisis between us and Beijing. Unfortunately, though, now, you know, that's all being thrown out the window because Biden is fixated on embracing Iran and punishing our, our allies in Israel and Saudi Arabia. Now, Israel and Saudi Arabia are saying, hey, look, we're going to make a new deal then. We're going to go our own way. Don't worry about it. You um you are a uh, you, you no longer live in DC as I no longer do but we spent Thank enough God. T- right but we spent enough time there to uh, to figure out how it works and there's one thing I haven't figured out yet um, and it's it's the other story about Iran uh, Brandon and it has to do with obviously uh, uh, Javad Zarif uh, claiming that he um, he gave John Kerry. Uh, intelligence on Israeli counterterrorism operations uh, in in Syria, and I don't know if you and I spoke when that news originally came we out. We did. We spoke briefly about it. Now Zarif yeah. is kind of all over the map on whether this is true or not. He's changed his story a couple of times. Most yeah. recently, it appears as if to save his own neck and throw his old friend John Kerry under the bus. Can we talk about that when we come back? I'd love to. Thank yeah. you. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brandon Weikert. His book is Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. The Weikert Report is his website. Great intelligence there for free. I'm Seth. He's Brandon. We'll be right back. Brandon's happy to take your calls, too. 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us, foreign policy analyst and expert author, author most recently of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Brandon, the other story that I wanted to go over with you vis-a-vis Iran and then move on to some other items is uh, the ongoing uh, blips 
with relation to the foreign minister Javad Zarif and John yeah. Kerry and the claims that Zarif made that Kerry gave him classified um, counterterrorism info uh, about the Israelis uh, t- uh, uh, attacking um, Iranian uh, Iranian outposts in Syria. Uh, Kerry denied it. Uh, Zarif says uh, it's true, though, right? Right, right. Um, I think that this indicates to you uh, or to the audience um, that that it, this is true. What what is being said that that John a secret back channel? I think this goes back years, um, and I think that uh, there should be some kind of investigation into Mister Kerry. Um, I think the Republicans should be much more out front with this thing. If this had happened uh, under the Trump administration with the Trump official talking to, say, Russia, um, you know, you, you know what would happen. It would be impeachment time all over again. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And this is very dangerous. Uh, I think that it's very true uh, what they're saying, that, that Kerry and the Obama administration were sharing intelligence that Israel gave us uh, about their operations in Syria. And I think that uh, the reason that Zarif is all over the map now is probably because his minders in the Revolutionary Guard Corps, the real power behind the throne, as it were, in Iran, are probably telling him, you know, don't don't let on that, that the Democrats have been feeding us this information. We don't want to lose that back channel. We need that. Um, we can't guarantee that, Democrat, that a Biden administration will stay in power forever. So we don't want to lose the back channel. And I think that's what's going on here. I think it's, I think there's a lot of truth to a lot of these claims, and it's sad. One of the things uh, Zarif is very clear about are his apologies for offending the Supreme Leader. This one was, I thought, interesting. He's all over, this, all over the place uh, 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 prostating himself uh, to say he didn't mean to offend him and didn't mean to offend the family of Soleimani. You'll remember he had a few... Right comments that were negative towards Soleimani, uh, Qasem Soleimani, who we killed uh, January a year ago. And 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 it does reaffirm what we said last week. Now I remember us talking about it, which was one of the things Arif did say, which was, you know, all decisions are approved through the right. uh, R, uh, uh, IR, IRG and the Ayatollah. This is, you know, basically diminishing his own sense of importance. Yes. Yes. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And so, you know, the article I have pending right now at the Asia Times gets into basically how whoever's in charge in Iran, whether it be a self-described moderate or a hawk, the policy in Iran for the last 43 or 44 years since the revolution in terms of its outlook toward the Americans and its outlook toward its neighbors and Israel um, it's been pretty consistent, and I think that's because the real power, particularly after the Grand Ayatollah Khomeini died, uh, the real power has been with the ideological army that is the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. And they're not going to let too much change occur in Iran's foreign policy, uh, nothing at least that would warrant the kind of giveaway and appeasement and accommodation that the Biden administration is intent upon when it comes to Iran. And um, I think that we are all going to pay the price for this kind of naivete because the crazies really are calling the shots 
in Iran, and in many respects, as surprising as it may sound, in many respects, um, North Korea may actually be the saner of the two rogue regimes, uh, North Korea's and Iran's regime. We used to think North Korea was just completely batty. But actually, I think given that the IRGC is in, is in control in Iran and has been for decades, I think they're actually the crazier ones and the ones we should fear even more with a nuclear bomb than even North Korea. Wow. Um, okay. So I guess the other part of this, too, Brandon, is that there is talk that Zarif might be wanting to run for president of Iran. Um, again, <coughs> though, um, I think it's important people understand that is not the story here. The story here is that the Ayatollah is in charge, and I don't care who the president is. That's the way I have looked at Iran That's uh, right. for a long time now, honestly, at least at least since uh, Khomeini days. I've never thought that the, the, the purported president of that country had anything to do of any real seriousness if, That's if, right. if, if the Ayatollah weren't, uh, weren't backing the position. That's right. That's right. And who's backing the, the, the Ayatollah? The real question is, who's who's calling the shot? Mm-hmm. Is it the religious clerics, the Ayatollah Khamenei and then his, his mullahs, or is it actually the IRGC? Now, I think under the Grand Ayatollah, the founder of the revolution, uh, Khomeini, I think he was in control. But I think after he passed, I think he died in, what, 88? Yeah, 89? that sounds right, 88, after 89. He died, yeah. After he died, his student Khamenei took over as the Ayatollah, and I've got the sense in the last few years that actually he's even probably not calling the shots. It's really people like Kassem Suleimani. Remember, the people who have the guns in those regimes tend to call the shots, mm. right? <laughs> and it's not the religious clerics. It's not the quote-unquote elected politicians uh, of Iran. It is and certainly not the people of Iran who have the power who are calling the shots. It's the it's the Revolutionary Guards Corps. They're the ones who are invested heavily, both you know emotionally, intellectually, and certainly spiritually, in the idea of a grand jihad with nukes uh, against their Sunni neighbors, Israel and uh, the United States and the West. And I don't think they're going to let up. I mean, we've seen. Look, after the invasion of Iraq in 2003, when it looked like we completely smashed. Uh, the you know Iraq apart in about you know three months or maybe even less actually more like a few weeks uh, there was a period of of rapprochement between Tehran and Washington um, and ultimately that fizzled quickly not just because the Bush administration missed the opportunity but I think because behind the scenes the IRGC were saying hey you know what we're not afraid of the Americans and we're the ones calling the shots here and since 06 definitely. Uh, the IRGC has become real dominant in the political order there. They're not going to let any deal, meaningful deal, be made with us. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a giveaway. It's going to be like doing a deal with Hitler. And Chamberlain learned the hard way what happens. And I, I don't mean to make that comparison because people make it about everything today. But this really is a Munich moment if the Biden administration goes ahead uh, with restoring the, the, the JCPOA. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, can I have you stay on a little bit longer? I'd like to keep yes. you on and talk a little bit. Some I've been wanting to talk to you about for a while. We keep getting lost in it on other stuff, though. All good. But it's uh, the United States and India and China. Can we talk a little bit about that? Another yeah. another ally we seem to be getting on the wrong side of here. Can we do that? Yes. 
I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Happy to take your calls, too. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Got a great event coming up May 25th. Andy Biggs, myself, Mike Gallagher will all be here to talk to you about the crisis at the border. Andy Biggs is going to take Mike Gallagher and myself to the border the day before on the 24th. We're going to come back and talk with you about it live uh, on the evening of May 25th. Love to see you in person. You can go to 960thepatriot.com for more information. It's not just about the border. I don't think so. Mike doesn't think so. And Andy doesn't think so. This is part one of a progressive effort to radicalize and change America. Join us on May 25th. More information at 960thepatriot.com. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report and the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Uh, One of the ways we have remained a superpower is um, through alliances, obviously, uh, with allies. And um, one of the ways we become less of a superpower is when we upset those allies and distance them, as it looks like we might be doing with Israel, according to Brandon's reporting earlier. I worry about that with India, too, Brandon. Talk to me about India, U.S., and China relations right now. Uh, well, we need India. It is, uh, you know, I I think it's the largest democracy now, or one of the top five largest democracies in the world. It certainly has its problems. It's got a lot of infrastructure issues, and we're seeing with the COVID outbreak there just how bad the infrastructure in India is. But it is on the southern border with China. China last summer launched a surprise attack on Indian territory uh, in the Himalayas. Uh, China's making a bid for uh, gaining control over the water rights into Tibet. Um, India, for its part, is attempting to pivot and and create a land bridge um, linking uh, their territory with Pakistan-controlled Kashmir, as well as into Afghanistan in anticipation for our withdrawal from the country in an attempt to isolate and blockade Pakistan. India India is a growing power. It's in the top five economies in the world. Um, you know, they, they, they have a lot of shared interests with us in terms of combating China's rise in particular, but also eventually containing or, or rather uh, um, making sure that Afghanistan doesn't go completely over uh, to the way it was before 9-11 in the hands of Islamists that will run wild. Um, so we have a lot in common with them. But since taking office, the Biden administration, despite its, its, I think, accurate talk about the need for alliances, particularly in the Indo-Pacific, particularly in, with India, their actions have, um, you know, shown otherwise that they don't view them as important. And, and it's insane because uh, recently, about a few weeks ago, um, the United States Navy did a freedom of navigation operation through the Indian Ocean. Uh, it's an area that India claims and some islands that we're saying actually is in international water. Um, and we decided to sail our Navy through that to send a signal to New Delhi 
that we're not going to let them uphold those claims. Meanwhile, we're gun-shy, the Biden administration is, to do phone ops through uh, territories in the South and East China Seas that, that the Chinese illegally hold and they illegally claim as their own, which are actually in international water. Um, and uh, we appear to be now going after uh, India. We, we, we threatened, apparently, at the end of March, I wrote about this, because they wanted to purchase Russian S-400 air defense systems. We threatened to sanction India. Uh, we walked back from that, but the, but the threat is still in our pocket. Uh, we are also now apparently, um, you know, we, we did the travel ban, a temporary travel ban uh, to travel from India and into India because of the COVID outbreak there. I think Biden's right to do that. But this is the same Biden and the same Democratic Party that last year uh, was very gun-shy and very critical of the Trump administration's, I think, brilliant decision to uh, do a travel ban from China when COVID was breaking out from the country. And um, they were critical of it all the way through uh, the summer of 2020, calling it racist. Uh, China's an enemy. And frankly, we should have less dealing with them, less trade with them, less travel to and from China. Uh, and India is a potential ally and certainly wants to be an ally. And every time this president uh, Biden turns around, it seems like he's insulting and and, uh, you know, harming Indian interests with wanton abandon. And I don't really understand the strategy there. Uh, not only did the freedom of navigation operation embarrass India, but it now also set a precedent that the Chinese Navy, which is desperately trying to get into Indian Ocean, uh, they are now going to probably do their own phone ops through that same area that India claims. Is well, let me own. hold you right there. And, hold up, Brandon. I got to do yeah. a tough break, a uh, hard break here. I'll be sure, right sure. back. Okay, we'll pick up on that on the other side. Hard break, tough break. No such thing as a tough break here in radio. Just hard breaks. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us. He is our foreign policy expert. Every Monday we join with Brandon to uh, go over the goings-on uh, of the world. Brandon, you were talking about India and China just before we had to hit the break. I, sorry for the interruption if you want to pick up. That's all right. Were. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry for, sorry for going on no, like that. No, it's a talk I, show. I, I lost in thought. No, nah, it's a talk yes, show for I that reason. Yeah, so basically, you know, and, and this was the article I wrote last week in Age of Time, Biden is, for whatever reason, hitting out at our allies or potential allies, uh, limiting our attractiveness to them in, in, with his actions, and basically leaving open the openings for our rivals to exploit. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's basically empowering all of our enemies, uh, China, Iran, as we talked about earlier, um, also, North Korea, by completely abandoning the momentum that the Trump administration had started with North Korea, we now this week, yet again, are at a position where North Korea is threatening to test now thermonuclear weapons and to start popping off ballistic missiles again, the way that they were in 2017. And I would remind your audience, I know for a fact, that before Trump did that Hail Mary play and met Kim Jong-un, in um, uh, Singapore uh, in summer of 2017, um, the, the, or 2018, 
the United States was on the path to war. Uh, that was why Mattis was so apoplectic. That all the generals and the and the meetings with Congress were looking like they were, you know, frankly constipated. It was because they knew that there was no out, and a war in the Korean Peninsula, even even though we would probably win, would be so bloody and terrible that it would completely destroy South Korea, destabilize the uh, Asian uh, system, and also probably throw us into an economic downturn, uh, not to mention the loss of American lives, uh, that uh, we should be trying everything we can. And Biden has apparently hit the reset button and gone back to the way things were, which weren't working for 20-plus years, and now we're back to that. And now Kim Jong-un is threatening war. And, um, you know, then there's Russia, in which, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Russia. On the one hand, Biden seemed to be running into war over Ukraine with Russia, and then at the last minute got on the phone and begged Putin to meet him one-to-one, which is really what Putin has wanted. And so Putin is now standing down. But who knows what concessions are going to be made to Putin. And that's the irony here, isn't it, is that Trump was known as somehow a friend of Russia, but he never made any major concessions to Moscow. And so everywhere we turn around, the Biden administration right now, uh, you know, they're saying the right things in terms of needing allies and, and wanting to stand up to China and wanting to stand against autocracy and empower our democratic allies. But then in their actions, they're kind of, you know, shooting themselves in the foot by their, their actions with India or Israel or, or you know, you name it. And it's, I, I can't really get a read on what this administration is trying to do. Do you think it's split? There's a division? I think, well, I know for a fact that we've talked about this yeah. before, and my friend over at the WAPO, Josh Rogan, has reported over on this uh, ex- excessively. There is a three, three-way three divide uh, in the Biden foreign policy team between the hawks, the doves, and the political hacks. And right now, on a bevy of issues, the hawks are winning because the hacks, who just want to make Biden look good for the polls, think that there's there's a merit to a Biden looking strong. It gives him good poll numbers. But the Cubs are waging this kind of, you know, slow boil campaign to basically ingratiate themselves with the political hacks and push out the Hawks. And I fear over time that the, the Dubs will win the day. And we're already seeing the very far left wing of the Democratic Party, the AOC side, winning major fights in the policy arena and getting Biden to do their bidding. So I think Biden, it's only a matter of time before he he comes around to the far left and starts dealing with Iran and starts maybe playing nicer with with China. And uh, so it's it's very much divided. And that's that's the real issue is until the president comes down one way or the other, you're going to have this one one step forward, three steps back kind of thing. And that's not going to help us because you know, our enemies, we're playing defense in terms of the world order. And, and when you're playing defense, you've got to be right 100% of the time. And for our rivals who are the revanchists trying to overthrow the world system, they only have to get it right one or two times. And so this is why Biden not being decisive and Biden not having a grand foreign policy division, having all these, these divisions within uh, his administration, it's hurting us in the long run. Very good, Brandon. Very good. One of the things that I thought, I don't know if you saw Secretary Blinken, Anthony Blinken's um, interview on 60 Minutes last night. I think it was last night. Yeah, it was last night. Uh, yeah. t- talking about China. 
And one of the interesting things, I mean, there's a lot we could say about it, but what I thought was the most interesting thing was when um, O'Donnell said to him, uh, uh, you know, tell us about uh, Xinjiang province uh, where the Uyghurs are being, you know, tortured. And right. he was – I'll read you what the transcript said and they put it up at the State Department website. This transcript's hmm, – it's as clear as you'd hear. Uh, quote, quote, we've made clear we see a genocide – having taken place against the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. More than a million people have been put into, choose your term, concentration camps, re-education camps, internment camps. When Beijing says, oh, it's because of a terrorist threat, it's not coming from a million people. We don't see it. That's pretty strong stuff yeah. from Secretary Blinken. Yeah. And Blinken, I, But I think it only yeah, has one on. use, and that's for every listener of this show to send that to the – to every single general manager in the NBA and to Nike. Yes. Yes. Well, I think it's important to note that Blinken is one of the Hawks. Mm -hmm. And so for my standards, he's a little too soft. But in the context of the Biden administration, he's a fire-breathing Hawk, and I'm rooting for him most of the time. I don't agree with his domestic politics. But I know that he is on the right side on, on the issue of China. Um, I, he, his style may not be my cup of tea, but on the policy side, he's one of the few people I think that we on the right should be trying to cultivate Good. and work with when it comes to China. Um, on Iran, I think he's a little more dovish, uh, which is unfortunate. But on the issue of China, which is the greatest strategic threat right. long term to right. the country's face, of course, of he's course. right, and we should be, you know, we should be looking. I, I actually kind of didn't think we needed to do too terribly much with Iran, to be honest with you. You know that the less we do, right. the better. I mean, China's where the engagement, right? Right. The previous administration did a great job. It's too bad that the the ideologues and the next new administration are really destroying the the momentum that Trump started because. Orange man bad. Exactly. Brandon, you're wonderful. Until next week, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. God bless. Seth Liebson, your show here on out, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Little Phil Vassar there for you. I love that. I like his version, uh, the original, better than the uh, Jody Messina cover. But she did a lot of his songs that made him a much more famous person. Uh, and then now you hear from neither of them, do you? Whatever happened to Jody Messina and Phil Vassar? They ruled the country music airwaves in the 90s. Just ruled them. Totally ruled them. Should we tell them what we're doing on the culture front here in celebration of July 4th? Oh, this is great. Um, as you know, my producer, Bill likes to memorize things, usually opening monologues to movies or commercial, you know, television shows. Never really talk shows. He doesn't memorize monologues of radio talk shows. But So we've given him a few over the years to memorize, primarily from the openings of Magnum P.I. And uh, it dawned on us we need to give him a new one. It's been a while since he committed something to memory. And uh, you want to show off your memory, uh, Bill? Do the rainbow thing. This just give everyone an example of what you can do. This oh, is all right. Here we go. Okay, this is the opening to a Magnum PI app. There's a reason I'm telling you about this, folks. Go ahead, Bill. I must have seen a hundred rainbows since I've been in the islands. Each one seems to take my breath away. Despite the best or efforts of Mr. Corkle, my high school science teacher, 
He used to lecture our class on light polarization and prisms and reflection and refraction, but I knew I knew that's not what rainbows were all about. So when I got a C-minus on my midterm, Mr. Corkle said he was concerned that I might go through life not understanding the importance of geometric optics. To tell you the truth, I was more concerned Mr. Corkle might go through life without understanding the importance of a rainbow. Beautiful. Well done. Bill did that with no notes, just looking me straight in the eye. That was the opening monologue of a Magnum P.I. So I remembered there's a 4th of July one, and it's called Home from the Sea. It's the opening uh, of season four, first episode of season four. It's a beautiful thing. It's all about Magnum's dad and, and, and the Korean War and the 4th of July, and it's a beautiful thing. And we asked Bill to memorize this monologue. Do you have the original or what you know? You want to do the original? All right. We'll give you the, there's a reason behind this, folks. I don't think this is just some funny stream down, uh, stroll down memory lane here. I'll, I'll get to the point here. This is a massive tease, but go ahead, Bill. I've always felt at home on the ocean, even as a kid. Maybe that's why I spend so much time alone on it, even on the 4th of July. I know, 4th should be spent with your buddies drinking beer and eating hot dogs at the ballpark or hopping in a potato sack race with your best girl or barbecuing in the backyard with your folks. Maybe for most Americans. For me, the 4th has been a day to spend alone, to remember. All right, now don't play any music. Can you do a little of it? How good are you? How... Do a little. Show the audience what you're working up. Not any. Okay, but you'll have this ready for, for July 4th. We're going to need it. There's a reason. I'll tell you about why we're doing this. The importance of the 80s and the culture of the 1980s, the importance of that. 602 Why is the Bill Gates divorce such a big deal? Do we care? Do I care? I mean, is, mm. all right, your show. We'll deal with it all when we come back.